Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour is here. OutKick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody, where you can find the OutKick 360 studios daily, 2 to 5 Central, 3 to 6 Eastern, so we'll be broadcast live. If you're listening to this on the podcast, we appreciate you. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel as well to search out Outkick 360 for more. John McClain joins us. Time to dive into the big headlines surrounding the NFL draft, which begins on Thursday. John, who uh, is uh, joining us after what was uh, quite the event today over at NRG Stadium, where uh, he was honored with his name on a wall. He, he has several of those in many states. Uh, and now if you visit the Texans uh, media room, and the press box at the Texan Stadium, there is the John McClain Hall of Fame for the media, and his name is the first name under his own name yet again. John, congratulations. I love seeing those photos, and it was a very nice honor. Uh, Well-earned, but a a, a nice job by the Texans in in honoring you today. It was. Thank you, Jonathan. I was blown away. They asked me to come over at noon. And the PR guy, Omar Masood, told me, he said, you might want to wear a sport coat. So I figured, <laughs> okay, I'll have to wear pants instead of shorts. <laughs> so when I got over there, I walked in, there was all, so many members of the media and, and still photographers and TV people started shooting me. And I'm like, okay, nobody would tell me what was going on. And uh, so when I went in, they waited till uh, everybody was there and they unveiled the Media Wall of Fame, just uh, out as you come off the elevator, start to walk in the press box and call it the John McClain Media Wall of Fame, named after me. And, of course, I'm the first name on there, and I'll be the first of many more who are very well deserving. But it was a very class move, caught me totally off guard. The McNair family, I appreciate so much, and others in the organization that had something to do with it. And uh, it's just it's just pretty cool to thank all my friends. Like when you guys come here for a Titans-Texans game and you walk in there, there's going to be my name right there. I'm glad they, I'm glad they did not put my picture up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, congratulations again. Uh, let, let's, let's dive in head first with the headlines. Uh, and uh, news, rumors, uh, there's tons of it out there two days before the NFL draft. Who do you believe the Jacksonville Jaguars are selecting number one overall today? Everybody keeps trying to say they're going to switch to Trayvon Walker. Maybe they will, but if you go by performance, he can't hold a candle to defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. Hutchinson is a sure thing. He's a double-digit sack guy. He plays hard all the time, plays the run well, but Walker tested off the charts, 6'5", 272, did everything great. Well, when he did it great, you know, he was wearing shorts and a T-shirt, so I still think it's going to be Hutchinson. If it's Walker, I don't think for a second Detroit is letting Hutchinson, who went to Michigan, 
you know, get away from the state there for sure. So I think those guys are going to be the first two, no matter which one goes first or second. Do you think for the Jags, it's a matter of uh, kind of the safe pick with the college production versus a guy they they potentially see as having a higher ceiling, despite the fact the higher ceiling with maybe bigger athletic traits who didn't necessarily produce in college to the level of those things based on uh, what he was asked to do and, and hitting his potential? One of the things I see, Paul, when people are trying to justify Trayvon Walker for uh, the Jaguars is they go back to the way that they drafted with Trent Baalke in San Francisco. But there's one problem. Jim Harbaugh was in charge. But everybody seems to think that Harbaugh had to take Trent Baalke's players, and he didn't. And they're trying to think he likes the big workout numbers, guys. And so he's going to take Walker over Aiden Hutchinson. And I, I maybe will. They are the Jaguars. And if they do, a lot of people will be upset about it because you're rolling the dice with Walker, who's incredible in shorts and a T-shirt. It reminds me of 2006. And you and I were at the, at the Combine. And all of a sudden, at the end, we hear about this guy named Mario Williams from North Carolina State, 6'6", 290, who looked great in shorts and a T-shirt, was tremendous in every drill. It's kind of the way it was with J.J. Watt in 2011, but he was 11th overall pick where Mario Williams ended up going first overall to the Texans and became a double-digit sack guy for most of the seasons. He was healthy before he left for Buffalo, but that's exactly what it reminds me of. I did a column last year before the combine comparing Mario Williams and J.J. Watt and how the combine was their coming out party. Well, that's what it was for Trayvon Walker, and then he was even better at the pro day. But give me Aiden Hutchinson. Walker may go to the Hall of Fame, but still, give me Aiden Hutchinson because it's all right there on tape. You can see it every game Michigan played. Where Trayvon Walker, people say, well, he had to drop into coverage. He's playing a three-man front. He played tackle in passing situations. He dropped into coverage. Well, if he's a great pass rusher, why didn't Kirby Smart have him rushing the passer all the time? It's like Jordan Davis. He didn't play but 5% in passing situations. I'd want to know how a guy with that size and that quickness and that speed was not rushing the quarterback more before I'd use a mid-first-round pick on him. Agree with you on all those points, John. Let's get back to the team that owns the John McClain Media Wall of Fame, uh, the Houston Texans, with two high picks in this draft. Plenty of needs there for the Texans. Do you feel like you have a good sense about what positions they're going to target with those two picks? Well, Chad, like if you give me a choice of multiples, I'll say, yeah, they need help at a lot of positions. But the things they need to help the most, they need a defensive end to play on the right side to give them a pass rusher. And Lovey Smith's defense, they don't blitz a lot. They were second fewest blitzes last season. And so they try to rely on the four-man front. And it doesn't matter who you got in the secondary if you can't pressure the passer, and they can't. They were terrible. Now, they still need a corner. They still need a safety. But if you take Sauce Gardner, say you've got him and Kyle Hamilton with your two first-round picks, if you can't rush the passer, they can't cover all day. So I think their first pick is going to be a defensive end. Like if Walker or Hutchinson were there, it would take about two seconds to make that pick. I think a lot of people have them mocked Kayvon Thibodeau. 
If you're going to have a third pick, you better have no questions about that player. And there are questions about his motor. And today, Ian Rappaport said uh, the Texans, there's a buzz about Derek Stingley Jr. There's a lot of questions about him. Number one, health, durability. He didn't play 10 games the last two years. Fabulous as a freshman. That's why I think you've got to either trade down or you take a player who has no questions. And the one I'd like to see him play, take, is because their running game is pathetic. Not only was it the worst in the NFL last season, it was the worst in franchise history. They have to improve it. So give me a guy like Inky Aquanu who could play left guard for a year, like Laramie Tunsil, their left tackle, did his rookie year at Miami, and put him in there because he will kick some serious butt in the running game, and he's improving as a pass rusher. And I don't care if it's Evan Neal. I don't care who it is. They got to get tougher up front. Right now, they got four returning starters who blocked for the worst running game in franchise history, and they were not real good at pass protection either. You got to get some guys, and Aquanu or Neal, give me one of those any day of the week unless Trayvon Walker's there. John, I know you don't want to, as an organization, if you draft in the top five, you don't want to wait on a position. If you've got two first-round picks, you want to draft what you need versus want versus best available player. I'm with you on Aquanu. Do you think Jermaine Johnson can be on the board at 13 when the Texans select again and they can get their pass rusher within the top 15 picks and still take the best player on the board at three? Jonathan, right now, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State is the second best combination of pass rusher and run stopper. And I don't think a guy like that's going to be available at 13. Well, the Texans have 10 picks. They have uh, two threes. They have two fours. They have two fives and two sixes, and they got 11 picks next year, nine the year after. So if I'm at 13 and I think I want Jermaine Johnson to be that pass rusher after I took an offensive lineman, I'm going to trade up a few spots and get him. I'll give them something this year and something next year, and I'm going to take him because they have to come away with a pass rusher, and I would love to see the Texans draft him, but I don't think he's going to be there at 13. You buy the idea that we could see a top nine that doesn't include a guy who touches the ball? No, I, I, oh boy, Paul, we know they're not going to have a running back. Good chance there's not going to be a quarterback because Carolina, I think, is going to take offensive tackle Charles Cross unless Evan Neal is still there. And, but, The receivers, the only truly great receiver is coming off an ACL, and that's Jameson Williams. You guys saw him a lot. That's a guy I would love to see the Texans trade up for and get him and give him a quarter of the season, half the season. I don't care. All I know is Davis Mills going into his second season with the Texans. They want to help him, and the best way to do it, improve the running game and give him a receiver like Williams, who had four touchdowns of 70 or more yards, averaged 19.9 yards a catch and had 15 touchdowns before he blew out his ACL. But I think he, over Garrett Wilson, is going to be – those two guys will pick, but I don't think either one of them is going to the top nine. And now that you brought it up, Paul, when's the last time that will have happened if indeed it happens Thursday? Yeah, I'm not sure, but we're all going to be looking it up. Well, and going with that, John, what you're just saying, you don't 
right now you don't think there's going to be a quarterback in that top nine selected. So who is the top quarterback taken in this draft? Who do you like the most? And where do you see that quarterback slotted in the first round of this draft? Because we know someone's going to take quarterback in the first round. Chad, like I don't think that uh, Malik Willis will go to a team that needs a quarterback now. He's got to sit out a year. People talk about him going to Carolina. Well, if they sit him for a year, then he's going to be starting for the next coach. It won't be Matt Rule. Kenny Pickett, 49 starts. Desmond Ritter, 48 starts. I think Kenny Pickett's going to be the first because he has the most on tape. He's a he's a solid quarterback prospect, not a great one. Next year's going to be great ones. Last year was great ones. If you need one now, you might be better off to just go ahead and take your lumps and try to get one next season. I think Pickett's going to be first, and I think Malik Willis will be second, and Willis will go farther down to a team that is willing to let him watch and learn for most of his rookie year like Patrick Mahomes did. Someone's going to get over-aggressive. That happens every year. Oh, yeah. And we will see. I, I don't know which team it is, John. I think a team moves up, trades up into that top ten to get a quarterback. I don't know if I, if if – Pittsburgh buys the the idea that Carolina's going QB. I know Kevin Colbert brought up the fact that he was weighing the, the cost of moving up to seven. That's where the Giants currently select. There's been a report that the Saints can be aggressive on Thursday night too. There have also been years where we expect teams to be very aggressive trade-wise and we don't see it. I, I'm curious what the, what the asking price will be. It's always steep to move up in a draft. But in a draft that doesn't include the quote-unquote franchise quarterback, will we see more teams try to move up to gain offensive tackle, pass rush, wide receiver, the top wide receiver, or in this case, the top quarterback on the board? And will the price be as steep as it is every single year as you look up at the trade negotiations and and what was actually uh, what the transition was like for a team to move up into the top 10 versus where they currently select, which in Pittsburgh's case... It's closer to 20. Those are great points, Jonathan. I do not see Kevin Colbert in his last draft, and Mike Tomlin has a lot of input, going all the way up for a quarterback that is a mediocre quarterback prospect, and you're you're showing desperation. The Steelers have never showed desperation. They're always just good enough not to get one. They got Ben Roethlisberger because he plummeted to them. And uh, they took him because they had him rated higher than uh, than the pick where they made it. They had touched down Tommy Maddox as their starting quarterback at that point. And when Ben started as a rookie, I don't think he lost a game in regular season. And uh, But I just don't see it. Now, all it takes is one general manager, one coach to fall in love with somebody, beauty in the eye of the beholder. But, man, I just – it, it just doesn't seem like there's a prospect worthy of trading a lot to move up that high. John McClain with us. You can follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. We're talking NFL headlines. And when we come back, we will dive into the wide receiver position. The top guy is up for debate because Jamison Williams is hurt uh, recovering from the ACL that he suffered in the national championship game. But there will be a, a run on receiver in the first round with teams that expect we expect will be very aggressive, specifically Kansas City and Arizona among them. We'll get John's take on how aggressive teams should be in order to get their guy because there's several teams that could use help at the position. That's next on Outkick 360. 
What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. John McClain with us. Outkick 360 rolls on on this Tuesday edition, talking NFL headlines as we get closer to the NFL draft on Thursday out in Las Vegas. John, if, if Malik Willis is on the board at 20, do the Steelers absolutely, without a doubt, draft him? Well, Jonathan, we can't say absolutely without a doubt about anything. But I'll say this, New Orleans and Pittsburgh. What if New Orleans makes Pittsburgh think they're going to take Kenny Pickett and the Steelers want to do what they did not do in 1983 when they bypassed Pitt quarterback Dan Marino and they want Kenny Pickett? Will they give him a pick to swap places? Or what if they're bluffing and the Saints want Malik Willis, I think it's much more likely those guys go in that neighborhood where you get much better value. But I'll say this, if they think either one of them is going to be a star, then they should take them without a doubt and do whatever it takes to take them. Because when Patrick Mahomes was drafted so high, when Andy Reid traded up, here was a guy that was looked at as a second-round pick because he came from Cliff Kingsbury's air raid system that he picked up from Mike Leach and a product of the system. And then when he traded up, all of a sudden, everybody's like, whoa, the Mahomes guy, Pat Mahomes, the baseball player's son, and they hadn't seen his great arm and how he could throw it out of the stadium. When Deshaun Watson was drafted the same year in 2017, and general manager Rick Smith traded up to get him with Cleveland, we're like, yeah, okay, the guy needs – he's going to need time – to develop, you know, he was a great college quarterback, but he's got a lot to learn. And after the first day of the rookie minicamp, Bill O'Brien told me this kid's going to be great. I said, really? He said, yes. And uh, later he explained why. So if those, those guys, while traded up to get them and they were both great moves, you know, neither one of them was considered a be-all, end-all quarterback prospect. The more I read a really good piece at the Athletic about Malik Willis that basically said, uh, well, it had a lot of quarterback coaches talking about him, and a consensus of many of them was like he's going to be like Jalen Hurts in that you're going to have to really build the thing around him. What what percentage, John, of quarterback needy teams do you think are willing to take a quarterback? 
where you'd have to completely structure the offense around him and become maybe something different than you are and you've ever been, as opposed to waiting until they can get a quarterback that's maybe a little bit more conventional where you could build. You know, what if you don't have the personnel right now that would allow you um, or set you on a course to build a Malik Willis-centered offense? I can understand teams not wanting to go that direction. If you're going to center your offense on a quarterback, he better be somebody you're taking in the first round and high and you believe in for the next five years. The Eagles are so sold on Jalen Hurts, they tried to get Deshaun Watson twice. Now, nobody's going to compare Watson to Hurts, but Hurts is a runner first. They're trying to make him into a passer. They had a great running game over the second half of the season. And if indeed you want to build everything around the run, Okay, but that's not the way the NFL has played today. I would not take a guy in the first round that I didn't want to be the centerpiece of my offense with everybody else filling in. But if you're going to change your philosophy, it better be somebody special. John McClain with us. John, I I go back to – I'm, I'm torn on how the NFL collectively feels about this draft. And if you don't think this is an upper – uh, the, the upper crust of this draft is very deep, meaning I don't know if there's 16, 17 players on yeah, someone's board. It. If you feel that way, to me, it's even more of a reason to draft quarterback and take a take a, a chance on getting a guy under a, uh, a five-year contract that economically is going to fit your roster where you can build around that for years to come um, with not much, uh, we're talking risk-reward, the, the, the risk would be passing on a franchise-type player in another position, but if you don't feel like this is a, a great class for the first-round-type guy, I would take quarterback first. Very seldom do you see a team like Arizona took Josh Rosen. People were hired, fired up about Josh Rosen, and then they realized he wasn't going to be very good in the NFL. You wonder, how could everybody do such a bad job scouting? Then they get Cliff Kingsbury, and nobody had Kyler Murray rated as number one quarterback. He's too small. System he came from. And Kingsbury convinced Steve Kimes, general manager, Michael Bidwell, the owner, this guy can be great in my system. Hmm. So they drafted him, and they dumped Josh Rosen, and that was quick. You just don't see that. To me, if you take a quarterback – and you make a five-year commitment to him, and he's not what you want. Say like Josh Rosen. And do you do next year? Do you say, okay, we're going to use our first pick two years in a row on a quarterback? And there's some some that would do that. But you also better have a damn good quarterback coach who's a proven developer of quarterbacks. you got to better have an understanding owner who has patience because so often today they do not. And you look at some of these quarterbacks – who bounce around. Look at Baker Mayfield. How many head coaches he's had? How many offensive coordinators? How many quarterback coaches as opposed to one? I think that he would be a lot better if he'd had stability. And that's why if he goes somewhere that provides stability, if they cut him, he's going to Pittsburgh. Or if he went to, if he was traded to uh, Seattle, not Carolina, he might have stability for the first time in his career and become the kind of quarterback the Browns envisioned for him when they drafted him first overall in 2018. Just a quick aside, Hut, I I see the scenario you're saying. My thing is I want to be the first one to get the hell out and get into the second, uh, and hopefully somebody else will come in and take that quarterback because I'm worried about John's scenario where he's Josh Rosen, Chad. 
John, uh, hypothetical time for you. Cowboys picking at 24. We all know they need an interior offensive lineman. That's the smart pick. That's the solid pick. There's going to be plenty of great players at that position right there in front of Jerry Jones. But if Traylon Burks is there at 24, can Boss Hogg himself, former Razorback, Jerry Jones help himself and not go for the former Arkansas player that's also a wide receiver, and we know Jerry Jones likes to go after guys who touch the football, especially if it's from his alma mater, can he help himself and avoid making that pick to make the smart pick and the need pick, which is offensive line? If indeed he wanted to draft Burks and they don't need to draft Burks and he had the, he had the name written on the number and he tried to pass it on his son, Stephen would grab his arm and hold down. He'd say, Daddy, Daddy, remember what I told you about Johnny Manziel? And Jerry go, oh, yeah, he'd wad it up and throw it down. And they'd make the smart pick would be Kenyon Green of Texas A&M or Zion Johnson from Boston College, two butt kickers in the interior line. You know, Jerry said he wants to be contrarian. Drafting Burks wouldn't be a contrarian because he's a first-round pick, but that's not what they need. And I bet if you ask Dak Prescott, he would say, as much as I love receivers, we got to have better blocking. We got to get tougher up front, more physical, because we got to fix our running game. You know, Ezekiel Elliott right now, he's not in the top five running backs in the league, and they want to get him back there. A lot of people think Tony Pollard is better, but they split time. They don't want bench Elliott, but they need to improve their running game and their pass protection. And I think that uh, Stephen Jones, if indeed Stephen believed that, he would stop his daddy. John, we talked production versus uh, potential with Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker earlier at the first pick. I want to talk about that same dilemma with Georgia defensive players in this draft. Nicobe Dean's the best football player on that defense. And you ask anyone around that program, anyone that watched him play, he made more plays. He knew the defense better. He was the smartest guy on the field. And he is a great athlete. And I see him in the second round in a number of mock drafts. I don't get it. Do you think that he sneaks into the back half of that first round? And what do you think about that when you look at the production of Dean versus Davis and Walker on that Georgia defense? Walker and Davis are going based on their numbers and shorts and T-shirts. hate to keep coming back to that, but that's a fact. Jordan Davis didn't, didn't rush the passer, but 5% of the time. Why was that? 6'6", 240 run, one ran up four, seven, eight, or whatever it was. And everybody's talking about, man, this guy's going to be a beast in the middle. Well, he will be against the run. But Dean was the captain. He was the smartest player. People look at him, he's undersized. But there's some good undersized linebackers who aren't six foot 230. And he makes up for it with effort, his intelligence, his instincts. After Devin Lloyd, I think he will definitely go in the first round. And I think he might say the second, I'd be shocked. That he's going in the second, I'd be shocked. Is Debo Samuel on the 49ers on Monday morning? John McClain with us, and we'll reconnect with him uh, momentarily. I, I, I'm curious about which veteran garners the, the most in return. Because you've got Debo Samuel... D.K. Metcalf, Kadarius Toney, Darren Waller. Who am I leaving out? A.J. Brown. Brown. 
Uh, there have been others mentioned. Like, wh- which guy are we likely to see moved first? Because I, you know, if like you let let's let's throw Dallas into the mix. It, Dallas with Debo Samuel changes their run game completely. He's if you want a loudest. different look at their run game, think about how San Francisco used Debo and then put him in that Cowboys but offense. They've already got two two running backs. Like John said, I think the key to fixing their running game is is fixing their offensive line, which has been pretty good in recent history and now has kind of come apart, gotten old, pieces have fallen off and left. I think they need to, to restore that offensive line. I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think Debo Samuel would help make anybody's run game better. But if you're, take, you're already having trouble getting Elliott and Pollard sufficient work for either one. I think taking carries away with Debo Samuel would complicate things there. Well, they know Elliott's days are numbered anyway, John, right? Like as you, as you try to think about where we are two years from now, Elliott's not on that Cowboys no. roster. Um, what, do you, do, I, I, we, what, what we brought up while we were reconnecting with you, not just Debo Samuel, but the number of receivers that have been still floated out there. The Jets in the mix. What happens there? Is there another team that's willing to make a move, aggressive move, and trade for a guy? DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, Kadarius Toney, Darren Waller, A.J. Brown. I mean, there are a number of receivers being mentioned as uh, potential trade candidates, and there's also six or seven wide receivers we could see selected on Thursday night. And then there's going to be a run on them in the second and third rounds as well. It's like Devontae Adams wasn't a first-round pick. Tyreek Hill wasn't a first-round pick. And DK Metcalf wasn't a first-round pick. Neither was Debo Samuel. So that's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons. Yeah, AJ Brown. That's one of the reasons people are able to do this. Would you be willing to make Debo the the highest paid player in the NFL for non quarterbacks? I don't think so. And he is a receiver. He rushed for three hundred yards. He's a great dual threat. But if I'm him and I had a chance to stay with the 49ers instead of going to the Jets for more money, I'm staying with the 49ers and then seeing what they'll give me instead of trying to force a trade just so I can get paid. But for some reason, some teams now don't put that premium on a wide receiver because history has showed you can get them beyond the first round, and there's a lot of prospects like that. This is not a great draft for wide receivers. If Jameson Williams had been hurt, he would be the top-rated one, probably worth the top five or six pick. But there are just so many of them out there, just like running backs. It's not being devalued by everybody, but there are a lot of teams that seem to be devaluing wide receivers because they'd rather have the big money at other positions. John, we're, we're debating a number of teams and whether or not they'll take a quarterback. What have the Texans done to convince everybody that they're not taking a quarterback in this draft? Well, anybody thought they were taking a quarterback was clueless. I was amazed at all the people that were clueless. I've been telling you guys since the end of the season how much they like Davis Mills, and they're not going to draft a quarterback in the first round. Now, maybe in the sixth round or something, but I think they, they signed Kyle Allen to be their backup, and they got Jeff Driscoll as the third quarterback, and he runs better than he throws. So he could sign an undrafted free agent, 
but they like Davis Mills a lot. They think about what he did at the end of last year with a pathetic running game and an offensive line that was mediocre on its best days. And they're thinking, okay, what could Davis Mills do with a year of experience, with an improved running game, with improved receivers and improved offensive line? So they're not looking for a quarterback. They got too many other weaknesses. And if Mills doesn't show the kind of improvement they hope next year, They'll be in the market for a quarterback in a much better draft at that position. Well, and John, when they drafted Davis Mills, where they drafted him, did they think this guy could very well be the franchise quarterback? Or did he get there and late in the season completely blow them away with with his play to where now they're thinking, oh, this guy could be our franchise? They don't know that. They didn't know that then. They took him in the third round. It was their first draft choice. And he'd only started 11 games at uh, Stanford. And so he was forced to play early because of injury Tyrod Taylor, and he wasn't very good. And then when he went back to the bench and then replaced Taylor, he was really good over the last five games, especially the last four, a lot better than Mac Jones was at Indy in New England, and Jones had a good running game and a good defense. So they don't know that he's a franchise quarterback. This is the season for him to prove it. And if he does, great. If he doesn't and he takes a step back or he doesn't improve the way they expect him to, then they'll be in a market next year, and they're going to be loaded with draft choices in case they want to trade up. And who knows? They may be in a position to get one because they're still not going to be very good. For how much – like the back end of the first round we're talking about not being very strong, but this draft is viewed as being very strong, maybe like third, fourth round. Is it not? Maybe even fifth round. There's a lot of players at offensive line, uh, wide receiver, cornerback, and um, edge rushers that you're going to be able to get some really good prospects in the third and fourth round. And it's not a good year to come out if you're one of those positions, but uh, you think of all the leading pass rushers, where they came from, they're kind of like wide receivers. But if you have a chance to get a special one, you got to jump on it. That's why I can't wait to see where Trayvon Walker goes, because if he goes first overall, Jacksonville and Detroit's able to get Hutchinson, the Lions fans should be turning cartwheels for that move. And then a lot of mock drafts have the Texans taking Kayvon Thibodeau third overall. And maybe they will, and maybe he'll go to the Hall of Fame. But he's one of those guys, you got questions about his effort. And if you got questions about his effort, I wouldn't use third overall pick on him. John, I know that there's some shine off this draft because of the lack of, of top-level quarterbacks in the first round. Uh, one of the things I haven't heard hyped up about this draft is the fact that it's in Vegas. Uh, I remember early on when they went on location, we'd be talking about, hey, what's the visual going to be like in this park where they're set up? Where else could they go in the city? We all remember the draft here on Broadway in downtown Nashville. I'm just not seeing a lot of excitement or thought around, boy, I wonder what the NFL draft's going to look like in Vegas. Have we lost some of the luster around the traveling road show with the NFL draft? First of all, I think the draft in Nashville, because of the crowd and they way it did it on Broadway and you could see people up on the rooftops and everything, I thought that was that still just blew me away more than any other draft. What I'm interested in Las Vegas, you know, you got Las Vegas Boulevard is bumper to bumper 24-7, and they're going to shut it down outside the Bellagio. And they've got a stage in the pond in front of the Bellagio. 
And they better not put Evan Neal at 6'7", 337 on there, or the guy from Minnesota who's 6'8", and 380, because I can't imagine that it wouldn't collapse. But it's huh. still going to be interesting to watch. But there's not a big buzz about Vegas, and maybe maybe it's because they got the Raiders. Maybe it's because they got hockey. They, they're looking for a spot to build the A's, a baseball stadium. So it's just, to me, it's kind of lost a little of its luster. Maybe I would feel differently if I were there. I know this, the crowds, if you, if you have a problem with crowds and being crushed, don't go to Las Vegas. I think too, Chad, it's because it's rescheduled. So we had that initial buzz and this is kind of second wave budget. John, there, there was a good story. I think David Newton wrote it at ESPN about the Panthers scouting Cam Newton. And they had a scout that followed him basically for the entire scouting period, but like a spy. I'm wondering if, if you have a, a story from Oilers history. I, I don't know if it was McNair or who, uh, but a high pick that they valued that they felt they needed to keep an eye on to, to that degree or, or somebody at a certain stage of the, the recruitment process, so to speak, that they really uh, felt the need to dig in on on that level. I've seen them send a lot of security guys to to uh, go to cities and check a guy out. But along those lines, the one that jumped out to me in 1983, the Oilers had a quarterback, Archie Manning, uh, uh, Oliver Luck, and uh, Gifford Nielsen, who was a better sportscaster here than he was a quarterback. And general manager at that time, Lad Herzig, he had uh, the hots for Warren Moon, who was playing his last year for Edmonton of the CFL. So he talked to his agent, Lee Steinberg, because Warren was going to be the first really big free agent. And he said his personnel director, Mike Olivac, who later replaced him as general manager, and Mike followed Warren Moon around Canada that season. And Mike, whose reason they drafted so well, Munchak, Matthews, Childers, Steinkuhler, Jeffries, all in consecutive drafts, and signed Moon was because of his scouting. So Mike got to spend a lot of time in Canada. The problem was there was no frequent flyer miles and no Marriott points. John McLean uh, with us every Tuesday. John, thank you as always. Enjoy the draft. Uh, from uh, from your seat, just like we'll be doing, and we'll recap it with you next week. Hey, Jonathan, Paul, and Chad, like, thank you. I'll be coming from uh, NRG Stadium, where I will not have to write on deadline <laughs> for the first time in 40-something years. Thank you. Enjoy, Enjoy that. Yeah. John McLean. Follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. What's the worst place to be stuck upside down needing fire? Oh. Uh, firefighter assistance. Oh, story. We have the details for you next on Outkick 360. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There are bad situations, and then there are crappy situations. Outkick 360 rolls on. That's what one woman found out. She climbed to 
the top of a mountain in Washington. And this so was far, Mount so Walker good. in Washington's Olympic National Forest. And eventually had to dial 911. It's because she dropped her phone into a vault toilet. Uh, this is not like a porta john. Um, I think if you envision that, you envision them upside down, like stuck in the actual seat. The hole? Um, she dropped her phone in this vault toilet, which is large enough to not be able to climb out of. And whenever she decided she was going to go for her phone, she took some dog leashes and like tied herself off and then like dove in head first or tried to climb down head first. The leashes gave way and she fell into this vault toilet looking for a phone. She, luckily for her, she, she was not able to climb out. But she got the phone. She got the phone and it did for, for somehow they had cell phone reception within this vault. And she was able to dial 911. So they had to come rescue her. They built, they built this platform and like pulled her out, washed her down, put her in a Tyvek suit. But I can't imagine, uh, you know, falling down into this vault toilet head first into, uh, you know, pitch black. People's remnants. Crap. When is the phone just not worth it? Yeah, then. Well, yeah, they I mean, said, I, you know, when, I, when my phone slipped in, in the, 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 at butter between the booth and the wall, there was a time halfway through watching all the effort it took. I said, guys, don't worry about it. Uh, I'll go get a new phone. You know, I didn't want to see them just kill themselves anymore to try to to dig this phone and out. And this phone, if I was drop not the phone in, in a toilet, I, I'm I'm just going to go get a new phone and worry about the fallout from that happening after, and not tie myself with dog leashes and try to rappel down like I'm going down a mountain into a toilet, into excrement, and try to fish my phone out. Yeah, I agree. That's that, that's beyond the line of where it's not worth it to try to get the phone. Firefighter said, "Upon arrival, we found the woman as described." <laughs> that that was in the report. They also said that she they they were not worried about injury because she said she didn't you know she didn't think she had any injuries. They were stunned that she did not uh, have any serious issues with the with the fumes with the toxic gases. That that <laughs> well, was in the report that, as well. That, Methane. Yeah. Mr. Methane. Brutal. Did, you, did you watch uh, Better Call Saul? I did. Yeah, There's a guy I was immediately that thinking had about to this. submerge himself into a uh, oil puddle or worse. Nacho. Nacho, yeah. That was nasty. And hold his breath for a while underneath oil. Yeah. Inside of an oil tanker. That the the, the methane gas made me think immediately of, of that with me too. This real life situation. The world's oldest person has died in Japan at 119 years old. You know who didn't get enough credit out of this story is her replacement as the oldest person in the world. It it seems to me Guinness didn't have that ready, the information ready to go. Her replacement. I do. Do It's John Louise Clement, 122-year-old woman. Uh, No, that was the previous record holder. The the new record holder is now Lucille Randon, 118-year-old French nun. You're French. Bring it out the French. This woman who Rundle. just passed away was Kane Tanaka, born January 2nd, 1903. The same year the Wright brothers flew their first airplane. That's amazing. Crayola sold their first box of crayons. Teddy Roosevelt was the president. Um, and she loved soda and chocolates yeah. and lived to be 119 years old. Busy she, she says it was based on family, sleep, hope, and faith. And uh, to keep her mind sharp, she was really into mathematics and calligraphy. 
Think if somebody lived that long, like was born today and lived that long, they would not see anything close to the amount of change that woman saw. The Wright brothers yeah. to today's technology. Well, we say that. I mean, I just can't imagine. They were probably saying that in 1903. That level of change. That's um, unbelievable. Japan, it, chances are it's going to be Japan or France that, that competes for this forever. Because Japan has the most elderly population in the world. More than a quarter of their population is older the age of, over the age of 65. And it's due to diet, health care, and the fact that many older people there continue to work into their later years. Um, that's, the, the, that's what's been identified as why they have such a long life expectancy. But Jean-Louis Clement uh, was is 122 ex- years old, and uh, she died. This was in the early to mid-1950, uh, like 1960. That's the oldest recorded Guinness Book of World Records person on Earth. Pretty soon, you're not even going to ask me to name that, Go ahead. that street that goes around the... What uh, is that street? The, the Arc de Triomphe. <laughs> the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> so when I got back from my French uh, trip after the Titans played in, uh, in London, these guys were, were luring me into saying everything they could think of in Paris. So why is France in the mix? Because they don't work at all? Is it a lack of work that they live the so wine. long? They're all, they're all these... Uh, wine and chocolate. Most of these women that are living so long are nuns. 122, well, that, that helps. 118. That helps. Celibacy. Um, yeah. <laughs> you think that helps? Yeah. No yeah. STDs. Wouldn't help me. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, that helps. I think it's the, the, also the sleep. We know it's not going to be a man. with sleep. We're, no. we're too fat and stressed well, out. Well, also... Uh, Her, by the way, if she it, got married... It also married, takes this, really good genetics. This woman yeah. that got married... Would have just celebrated her 100th wedding anniversary. <laughs> oh, dear God. Think about that. Gosh. At 119. She was married when she was 19. Most uh, Americans when, would when jump did her off husband die? Do we know? I don't know. What if the husband died at like 38? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He died before World War I. <laughs> he, we, he died right before our 20th wedding anniversary. We were 39, and I'm now. And it was World War I. Yes. Oh, God. I was stunned at. Like just how, and this sounds bad, but she's 119. At her birthday back in January, they had a video of her on YouTube, and just how like with it she was oh, mentally. Yeah. Like she, she was, she, she, like someone presented her with a, a box of chocolates, and she grabbed the chocolate. And made, you know, she's everyone fully was functional. Yeah. yeah, I don't Impressive. know if she's speaking, but you know, she knew what she was doing. Yeah, she wanted a chocolate. God bless. 119. I just hope to make it to 50. <laughs> Up to make it to 50. What's, ma'am, what's your secret? <laughs> I'd like to ask her that at her birthday. Mathematics and calligraphy. I'm screwed. Yeah, not interested. No. <laughs> yeah. I'll die no. at 70. Hard, hard Happy. Pass. Headlines next on Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network.